All right, entrepreneurs, small business owners, investors everywhere, we have a special guest for you on the Seven Figures Club podcast. Someone who's going to open your mind to different possibilities when it comes to real estate investments and business models you may not have considered, but that have so much potential and opportunity that's only going to be getting hot over the next 10 to 20 years. We have Serge, and Serge, how do we say your last name right? I want to say it right. Lupescu. Lupescu, okay, Lupescu. He is the former owner and manager of Legion Manor LLC, where he owned and operated his own residential assisted living facility. He started working in the healthcare industry as a CNA in 2014, all the way to 2017. He graduated from Southwest Baptist University with his nursing degree in 2017, and then opened his own residential assisted living facility in 2018. He has an amazing YouTube channel. I definitely recommend you follow that. He is on the board of directors of the Arizona Assisted Living Homes Association, serving as the marketing co-chair and advocating for operators. And he also runs his own academy called Legion Assisted Living Academy, which is designed to help individuals with the same common interest and goals of opening their very own residential assisted living facility. Serge, super excited to have you on the show. Welcome. There are over 32 million businesses in the U.S. and over 90% of them will never break seven figures in annual sales. So how do we as entrepreneurs or aspiring entrepreneurs break into that seven figures club? This podcast will relentlessly share the secrets, strategies, and tactics I've used to create three multi-seven figures businesses and bring in even more successful entrepreneurs than me to share their inspirational stories and tactics to success. You can create your dream business in life right now. So buckle up and let's go. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you for having me on. You forgot one part though. You got- Oh, what did I forget? In, uh, the syndication, Valley ALF Ventures. Um, that's, ah, that's there we go. a lot of people will um, have a lot of interest in that because that's the real estate component of everything we do now. So No question. So you are co-founder, co-owner of Valley ALF Ventures and the ALF stands for Assisted Living Facilities. Correct. Yeah. So. All right. ValleyAlfVentures.com. We're going to definitely dig into that deeper. But before we do, Serge, the audience loves to find out about your background. What was it? What were some of the key events growing up? and going through school that were you someone who you know was out there knocking doors doing lemonade stands was always born to be an entrepreneur or at some point did certain events happen in your life where you realized actually yeah i think i'd rather be an independent business owner operator be able to control my destiny what was that process like of becoming an entrepreneur for you yeah that's such a great question i think everybody's got their own version as far as what kind of contributed to their path in life. But for me, uh, I'm first generation Romanian here. Uh, my dad actually came here from Romania during communism in 89. So he came here and I, I you know, for me seeing him kind of go through his process of figuring things out as a kid and he ended up, you know, doing construction originally. And then or ironically, my parents tried to start a residential assisted living when I was really, really young. I, I vaguely remember it, um, but it just didn't work out for them for whatever reasons. I think just with how many kids and siblings I had and stuff at the home yeah. and it just couldn't work. But uh, then he ended up truck driving. Right. And so growing up, I, you know, I, I just saw my dad always working. He was always gone. So that kind of instilled that hard work. And so I did do the whole, like, I didn't do lemonade stands, but I did like mowing, you know, mowing people's grass and 
raking. I lived in the Midwest uh, for most of my life. So I was raking leaves in the fall. I always had something to do, right? Plowing people snow in the winter. So it's like, there was always something to do, right? The blue collar stuff. So I was always just making like money like that by working and taking care of other people's yards just to make some money. Um, And then as time went on, you know, obviously I went to just a regular public school growing up. And then at one point, what had happened was I got really sick as a kid. Um, I ended up having cancer as a kid. And yeah, so that's kind of where life really took a turn of events for me, at least. Um, And so I was diagnosed at 12 years old with leukemia, um, did four years of treatment for that. So by the time I was 16, you know, I was done with treatment. Fortunately for me, um, I was able to get through that. And that really taught me a lot of valuable lessons going through that. And even though there was a lot of entrepreneurship in my life from other siblings doing other things, um, for me, that kind of changed my perspective compared to maybe a lot of other people. Um, I realized life is short. And, you know, when you fight for your life and you go through an experience like that, it really makes you realize that it's like you can't waste time sitting around thinking that things are going to happen. And I learned that very early because of that situation in my life. So as soon as I graduated high school, right before I graduated, I asked my, one of my sisters who was a respiratory therapist at the time, you know, what should I do? Like, I I need some guidance here. Like, I'm not sure. Like I, I see my siblings struggling that were trying to start their own businesses and things. And I didn't necessarily entrepreneurship, even though it was around me, it wasn't like my first go-to thing. I was like, I don't want that. They're never around their kids. They're never home. Like they always seem to be struggling, you know, just like any other entrepreneur. So I'm like, well, let me just see if I could just go to college, but what am I going to go to college for? And my sister would like, was like, Hey, you should go and try to become a CRNA, which is a certified registered nurse anesthetist. And I'm like, well, what's the path to do that? And she was like, well, go become a CNA first. And I wasn't old enough just yet. You have to be 18 and go become a CNA. And then from there, go to nursing school, try to get your foot in the door in the ICU, get your experience there, and then apply for CRNA school, which at the time you only needed your master's, but they had switched that later on to a doctorate that you would need to go do. So I'm like, okay, that sounds like a pretty safe route, right? Just like anybody else. I'm like, it gives me something to work towards and I can start putting things in motion. And that's what I did. Um, I worked some, some odd jobs until I was 18, right out of high school. I started, I went to a community college to get my prerequisites. So that's what I started working towards. Um, and for me, I realized like, okay, I don't have all the time in the world. You know, I need to start working towards my future. And I just had a different mindset than most people at 17 years old. And once I got, once I became 18, got my CNA certification um, worked at a nursing home for about a month and busted my butt over there. Uh, um, it was a lot of hard work. It was a big facility. Um, and my, a lot of people there, they're like seeing me at 18 years old, busting my butt. They're like, you don't belong here. Like you need to be somewhere better. Like you need to be in the hospital somewhere. Like you need to, and that's what I was working towards, but they didn't know that. And I asked my sister at the time, again, who's my res- uh, who's a respiratory therapist. I'm like, hey, she was working in the hospital, was floating between ICUs. I'm like, can you just put a word in that, you know, as a CNA, if I could just come work? And she did. 
I got a job in the ICU in a neurotrauma ICU at 18 years old. And again, I'm going to school during this period of time. And it was just a whole nother world. I was like, oh my goodness. I saw all kinds of different things. You know, you're around veteran nurses, you're around all these different types of doctors, nurse practitioners. It was the perfect environment for me to see what my future would actually look like. Cause there would be CRNAs that would come in, do certain procedures, et cetera. And I was just intrigued by it. And again, the entrepreneurship thing was not in my mind at all. I'm like set on becoming a CRNA. A little bit of time goes by, you know, I get into nursing school and I'm probably around 19 at this time, 20, I'm going into like my second, third year of working there in ICU as a CNA and going through nursing school. And something just hit me after having multiple conversations with nurses, because I'd worked the night shift. So we'd have like a dead time, right? Between like one to five in the morning was kind of like the dead time for, for a bunch of people that were working night shift. And I would have weekend option. And so I'd work Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And that's when all the veteran nurses worked was because you got the pay differential for being weekend option and night shift. So you'd have this huge pay differential. So I get to talk to all these older nurses that were in their 40s, 50s, 60s. And I would just ask them about their lives. What, you know, what, what could they do differently? What would they do differently? And all of them told me, Serge, get out of nursing. Don't even no kidding. I'm not lying to you. I know a oh lot of people would be shocked to hear that. And I'm like, well, how come you guys did it? And they're like, Serge, you get a mortgage, you start having kids. Oh, and essentially they, they admitted that they got trapped in the rat race. Oh my goodness. And so that really helped me out a lot, right? I was very observant to that and very willing to like hear them out. And I started thinking, okay. I don't want that for my life. Like I, in a way, saw my future in them of what, how things would play out. And that is when I realized I would have multiple conversations with other colleagues that were younger, that were trying to do some side stuff, whether it was real estate or other businesses. And that's where the entrepreneurship kind of kicked in for me, like the bug of like, or even the thought of like, I need to create something for myself. And Lo and behold, that fire just kept on growing and growing. And by the time I graduated nursing school, I had a, a job. I had multiple interviews lined up in the ER, in multiple ICUs. Ultimately, I verbally committed to the neurotrauma ICU I was working in. And there was, again, there was that fire, that, that intuition in me saying, you got to go a different path. You have something bigger out there waiting for you. And with God's help, I'm a man of faith. And so with God's help, I ended up saying, all right, well, what can I do with this degree I just worked so hard for? And it only made sense, logical sense to get into the assisted living space. And so that is how I ended up getting into the assisted living space. Wow. That, that's an amazing story, Serge. So, I mean, to be diagnosed with leukemia at age uh, 12 and, and so you had to fight for your life for four years and, and get through that. And then I think there's always something special about immigrants because immigrants weren't born in this country and they have seen what it's like to live in different systems of governments without the freedoms, financial system, the American dream that we enjoy here. And there's just always something special about how immigrants are much more likely to become entrepreneurs as are their children. And so I think that gives you a different perspective 
And then a lot of people do go throughout life without intentionally thinking about what they want to do. And they let a lot of time lapse. And where you, a lot of entrepreneurs will have that, that situation where there was a, a life or death scenario, which you already faced so young. And then from there, you know, you started to live with urgency. And then the other takeaway that I, I would share with the audience is you had the the wisdom to, instead of just trying to figure everything out on your own, you said, hey, these people are, are further ahead. They're down the road from me. They've, they've gone down the path that I'm looking to go down as, as a nurse or a nurse anesthetist. And I want to find out, is, is it what they dreamed and hoped it would be? And that's just mind-boggling that every single one of them are, no, there, there's got to be a better way. There's a better life for you working nights and weekends. Yeah, it pays more, but it's very difficult on your body, on your family, et cetera. And so then, so then let's, let's get to the next point here. So now you just got the nursing degree. You're ready to roll. You're like, nope, you're feeling, you know, maybe God is, is, is guiding you a different direction. And you're like, well, I think it's assisted living. So now after all this journey, now you're going down this path of entrepreneurship, uncertainty. And at this point, uh, is it just you? Um, are you married or where, where are we at at this point? Yeah. So I was 22 when I graduated nursing school. And this was at the end of 2017, like you mentioned in the beginning. So I was single, no kids, no obligation. So I said, if I'm going to do it, now is the time to do it. I'm single. I have no obligations. I'm free to just move where I need to move, make, make the decisions I need to make. And so that's what I did. I ended up coming out here to Arizona during, uh, right before my graduation on Christmas break, um, to take a couple tours of a couple facilities out here. Um, in Arizona just naturally gravitated to me. Um, and it, it was just an area I'm like, I knew of a lot of people doing this business out here. I just didn't know exactly the process and again, uncertainty. And I wasn't quite sure of what I needed to do, but I needed, I knew I needed to move out here and just get things rolling. So that's what I did. Um, I came out here and then I went back home, pretty much packed up all my stuff and moved out to Arizona and I didn't have necessarily a place to live just yet. And there's a whole like kind of backstory, but I, to make a long story short, ended up finding a home that I could lease for an assisted living. And it was a four bedroom, two bath. Um, and it had previously been licensed as an assisted living, but it was vacant. Wasn't It was like half furnished. So I was like, well, that's perfect. I'll just live there and just get the business going. Like as soon as I get the business up and running, um, I'll, you know, I'll move out and get an apartment, whatever. So that's what I did. And so I had the place leased out and then got out here, started to get the ball rolling, started furnishing the place. Um, I was, I want to touch on a couple things because I think this is where a lot of people will get some value from even this story in my podcast uh, or your podcast. And so what had happened as soon as I got out here again, I'm not, I'm 22 years old. I'm naive. I've never done a business transaction really in my life. Um, and my, one of my mom's like colleagues, somebody she knew was willing to kind of hold, like kind of guide me through this and give me recommendations and be like a a mentor essentially. And so she starts feeding me this information and I didn't know this. I was trusting her. And because my mom was saying, Hey, she'll be a great resource for us. Right. And I'm like, okay, sure, mom, I'm going to listen to you and you know, best and whatever. 
And so as, as we start getting things rolling with her, um, some things just didn't sit well with me, you know, certain things would happen and, you know, she would request certain amounts of money for certain services, services, quote unquote, I say, but it was things that just, she would request money for and to help me essentially get this home up and going. And originally the plan was to go and get my home licensed as a behavioral health facility. And so for me, I'm like, okay, well, I'll listen to what she's saying. And lo and behold, the what she gave me was not like sufficient to get the home license. It was policies and procedures, things like that. And she ultimately scammed me out of money and nothing ever came out of it. And so to make a long story short, I ended up being in the hole in the first three months of getting out here, trying to get this home licensed. I'm in the hole 20 grand right off the bat. No business, completely out of money. Um, and I ended up having DHS, which is the Department of Health Services here in the state of Arizona, knock on the door one day and asking me what type of business I was running. And at the time, what she, what this lady was advising me to do was to run a halfway house while I was trying to apply for the license. What I didn't know was because this home was previously licensed as an assisted living, I was running a business that technically wasn't qualified under that business. Like you weren't allowed to get the certain clients in the home under that specific license. So I almost literally got blackballed from the industry and almost got fined close to, I want to say a hundred thousand dollars for operating the businesses for the this halfway house for three months under an assisted living license for three months. And it was, I forget what the fine was, but Fortunately for me and God's good grace, I was, they were like, Hey, we know you got taken advantage of. We know of this individual who scammed you. So they're like, here are the next steps that you will need to do in order to move forward. And that's what I did. I took whatever money I had left, which was very little. And it was like a thousand dollars that I had left and went and got like my manager certification, got everything actually properly um, going. So that's how my first three months started out as soon as I came out here to Arizona. And it was, it was horrible to say the least. So, you know, to everybody listening right now, I think every entrepreneur has that kind of story. I have that kind of story where, you know, I was doing this import export and I put all this money into sending like popsicles to the Island of Tonga that didn't work out so well. And I even like put a lien against the partner's house who I was working with and tried to cover it every which way. But it's it's one of those things where sometimes, you, you know, you've looked for mentors and you look for a roadmap for success to avoid those issues. But most of the time, you still have to go through that learning process. But what's important here is you didn't give up. Most people yeah. will give up when you go through adversity. But if you can get through that baptism by fire, there's success on the other end of it, not not immediately, but eventually. Eventually. A hundred percent. Yeah. You know, right after that, once I got everything, it took me about a month or so to get on the right track and actually get the facility relicensed as an assisted living under my own license, et cetera. Um, and it took about a month and a half, started getting clients in there. Again, I was doing all the work myself, the caregiving, the tours, all of that, right? Because Again, I couldn't afford to really bring anybody on at the time. So 
I'm 22. I'm like, ah, like what else do I got to lose? Like I might as well just do all the work myself. And I did that for about, about a good year. Um, and then really what led that same year is what kind of led me to start my YouTube channel, because I'm like, there's no way I am the only individual who wants to get in the, in this kind of business and not have to pay an arm and a leg to get any decent, basic information. And that's what led to the YouTube channel. So I just picked up a camera, um, you know, and started documenting kind of my thoughts, what, what went into it. And that's what kind of led to that. Like I had some like ideas in mind where it could potentially go, but again, I didn't focus on that. I just focused on uploading, putting good content out and just providing value at the end of the day. And that's really what led to that aspect of it. And then, you know, that started picking up towards like 2019, go into like 2020. But in 2019, this is another crazy story. Um, I did have an apartment and then I'm like, forget it. Like, I don't need an apartment. I could just live at the care home and I'll just live out of my car too. So that's what I did. Like for a good six months of 2019, um, I lived in my car and at the care home. So I would just kind of alternate between the two just because I wouldn't want my staff to see me at the care home at, you know, at night. So I'd just go sleep in the car at night in some like LA fitness parking lot, you know, and then like, I'd get up and go shower in the gym. Like I had my gym membership there and, you know, I did that for a good six months and it was worth every sacrifice necessary. You know, I, my expenses were super low, you know, and I was able to put away quite a bit of money. And then at one point I partnered up with an old colleague that I used to work at the hospital with. And that's kind of what led into the real estate business. And at the time I was like, well, let's him and I wanted to maybe get another facility together, but we just, there's just, we couldn't find any good deals at the time that made sense, at least within our budget of what we could afford. So we're like, well, let's just do Airbnb and I'll do all the legwork. We'll, you know, I'll find the home, I'll find the property, whatever you front the capital. It's kind of like my first little mini syndication, which will lead it to what I do now. But Nice. Um, hey, but before we jump into that, yeah. uh, one question that a lot of the audience is probably having right now is, so you started this assisted healthcare, you know, living business facility. And so you leased it out, which is great. You didn't have to buy the property. A lot of people think they probably have to buy the property. You leased it out, you signed a lease agreement. And then how did you actually find residents for the assisted living facility? Yeah, great question. That yeah. So the operation side of it, I know a lot of people always have questions on that, but the way I went about it, I actually hosted an open house. So I just went around and just networked as much as I could with different hospices, liaisons, different like skilled nursing facilities, their case managers, placement agents, anybody that I could try to like talk to and, you know, whatever I could do, I would go, I would go to like the most random stuff like that had to do with senior, you know, care and care homes. Like I would just go to everything and anything that I possibly could go to and just network as much as I could. And so as soon as I had my home open, I probably had about 20, 30 people show up at the open house. And within the first week, I got my very first client from a placement agent and 
it was a very difficult client, but that's how it usually goes when you first open up. You don't get the, you know, really top paying clients until after you prove yourself in a way. Um, for me, I was very fortunate, even though I was very young, I was 22, I, I had my nursing degree. And so that really helped with the that trust. Is nice. yeah. So anytime I would do tours and families would see like, you're pretty young. Are you the caregiver or, you know, and I'm like, no, you know, I'm the manager here. And, you know, I have my nursing degree and they love that. They're like, okay, you're, you're, we can see that you're going to really put in the effort to take care of mom or dad or grandma and grandpa. So I, was, I feel like your experience of spending all that time in the hospital as a kid and overcoming cancer, I feel like that gives you a lot of special credibility too that, that others just wouldn't have. It does because there would be certain family members or even clients that I would get that either may have been going through some treatment or maybe yeah. was experiencing that. So for me, I'm like, you know, hey, look, I've I've been there. I know what that's like. So I'll, they did appreciate that too, for sure. So that's a seven-figure secret that uh, Serge just shared with you guys. So if you're on the treadmill or you're driving around, you might want to take a quick note here. Send yourself a text with this, this message. Basically, marketing comes down to who has my clients? Who's got my dream client that I want to work with? And Serge is like, oh, you know, all these other providers who are already working with my potential client, resident, I just need to build relationships with them and then they'll refer them to me. And that's how it's done. And that's how I built uh, our business here at Seven Figures Funding up to an eight-figure business. 90% of our leads come from strategic referral partners that we work with. And so it doesn't matter what business you're in, who already has your clients instead of spending a fortune on marketing, you didn't have that option. I didn't have that option when I started this business. So you go and build relationships and referral networks. And that's how you can build a business and build it very profitably without going bankrupt with marketing that oftentimes doesn't work. So huge, huge value bomb there. Thanks for sharing that. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think a lot of, I mean, this is a, a people business, like it's a hundred percent about going and meeting people and handshakes and it's it, because you're dealing with people and it's not as simple as throwing a Facebook ad together and being like, oh yeah, hey, you know, I did get leads off of like my Google and stuff, but that wasn't where majority of my business came from. It always came from these other individuals that I networked with and that had access to these different referrals, whether it came from skilled nursing facilities or wherever they came from, right? So again, they were working with families. They have to feed their pipeline too. So they're doing... Yeah a lot of the legwork that I now don't have to. Yeah. I pay them a referral fee or whatever. You're darn right. You do. But again, that marketing money has got to be put somewhere. And I know for it's guaranteed when I pay a placement agent that that it, they come in, right? Like it's a guaranteed lead. It's not like I'm paying them ahead of time with maybe I'll get some results, you know? So, um, but that's, that's how I started, you know? And as as I continue to take on more different, see the, another thing that kind of made me more different in a way was I was comfortable taking the harder cases. Cause again, I had that healthcare background. I knew about catheter care. I knew about all these different types of diagnosis and different types of treatments that they were going through and wound care and different things. Right. So I was like, sure, I'll take that person with the bed sore. I'll take that person with the catheter and maybe a trach tube. And, you know, cause I was like, dude, I worked in ICU for years. Right. And so for me, I was like, bring it on, you know, and then that's how I started taking on those harder clients that paid more. 
And these people that were referring them to me were like, all right, well, Serge is the guy, like send them to Serge. Serge will probably, if he's got vacancy, he'll probably take them, you know? So that's kind of how I also built my reputation. And then it, it did help at one point, my YouTube, people would always be like, dude, you're that YouTube guy, right? Like anytime I go to these different networking meetings. So that started, as that started growing, that started helping. And I think people should just get creative, you know, use certain experiences in your life, certain things that make you stand out and make you different and utilize that to your advantage. And you'd be surprised how many people will be like, "I, I know of him. Yeah. Because of this. Right. And so that's really what made me stand out. And again, I was young. And so people would be like, yeah, Serge is young, that young guy, right? That young guy. And like that, that helped and worked in, to my advantage. You know, I didn't, I didn't give myself an excuse that I'm young, right? That's why I'm, I'm, I'm not successful. That's why I can't get clients. Cause I'm young. That had nothing to do with it. I was like, well, I am young. That's a fact, but I'm gonna use that to my advantage. How can I make myself stand out even though I'm young, you know? So that's probably something else for the audience to consider too. Absolutely. And you guys don't have to be experts out there, but when someone can watch a video and see your face and connect with you, they feel like they already know you. I guarantee you, you've had people that reached out to you after watching some videos. They feel like they already know and like, and trust you. And that just speeds up the entire process. I'm curious as you talked about that first year or two of doing this, what kind of hours were you working to get this launched? It was a blur. I'll be honest. I never looked at it that way. I knew I just had to hustle. I mean, I probably, I was probably putting in, oh, geez. I don't want to over-exaggerate and sound like the guy that was doing a hundred hour weeks and stuff, but I know there were weeks like that where it was just nonstop taking in admissions, doing either discharges, onboarding new employees, dealing with, you know, situations at the home and, uh, to be honest, I couldn't tell you how many hours I was doing. I know, but I know it was a lot. Like if I, it, I would have to sit down and think about how how much I worked. But I didn't mind the work. That's the truth. I didn't mind doing the work. I didn't mind having the sacrifice sacrifice weekends. And uh, for two good years, I didn't go back home at all. I didn't go to to any family events. I didn't. People would say that's really unhealthy, and I'm I'm sure it was, but I didn't mind it. I knew what I needed to do, and I knew the sacrifices that were necessary. Um, and so for me, it's funny because during those first two years, I probably I was so laser focused that my I like my family just kind of like I didn't really talk to them very much. Whatever friends I did have, I didn't have anymore, you know. Um, so I, I was just so laser focused, I would say. And yeah, like the people that were truly there for me are still here for me today. Um, so it did it did weed out a lot of people that just had no business being in my life anyhow. Um, one thing about me, I don't drink um, at all. I'd never had a drink in my life. That's just something, again, that goes back to me having cancer as a kid. Um, and morally, I just don't think alcohol is anything I would care to mess with. But so I never partied. Um, I never did any of that. I know that sounds really bizarre um, just because our culture, I feel like is really into that. And especially at that age, it's like, how could you not? But, um, so I never had a problem with that. I never felt like I felt left out. You know, I was very comfortable being on my own, being self-sufficient. So I think that really helped contribute to me not going crazy, um, during those two years of just absolutely grinding. But yeah, I, that that's, 
that's really how those two years, I mean, I, I know it was a lot of hours, but I couldn't tell you the exact. No, that, and, and that tells the audience exactly what it takes. And the problem that a lot of people have is they see that and they think that it lasts forever, but everything has a season. And in our society, obsession is looked down upon, but obsession with the right things can create a very, very enjoyable, awesome life. And so when I started this business, I remember I was working nine to nine, nine to 10, 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. or 10 p.m. at night, Monday through Friday. And then Saturday was probably nine to six. Sunday, I'd go to church with my family. And then it was probably, you know, one to five for that first year. And I had five kids, so it was really difficult. But after that first year, I built out a team. I built out a reputation. And then I got to pull back on that schedule. You know, I took my family on vacations. We went boating all the time. So, but if I hadn't been willing to put that sacrifice, it wouldn't have created the business. It wouldn't have created the opportunities. And that's the problem that most people who work a W-2 job is they're like, oh, I'm not getting paid. And when you start the business, you're not going to get paid. You have to go through and learn and build credibility and build the business foundation And you're not going to make that kind of money. But if you stick with it and you do it the right way and you learn from mentors and others who are ahead of you, then you can create something that will change your life. And now the foundation you've built, for everybody listening, you went from those first few beds and and assisted living facility, and now you've scaled to 200 plus beds and, and millions of dollars in properties uh, and and business. So tell us what was that process like as how did you go from, okay, I've got one location and now I'm going to grow and scale? Yeah, it, it was a very interesting process. I knew in the back of my mind, I eventually wanted to get there. I just, again, I didn't know how I was going to do it. And I think that's something a lot of people struggle with. They They think they need to know everything right off the bat of like having this game plan of like, this is how I'm going to do it. I didn't know how I was going to do it. I just knew I'll get there somehow, some way. You just have to have that self-belief before it actually comes to fruition. So that's what they call faith, right? It's just having faith in yourself and believing that you can get there and it, it could either happen faster or slower, depending on, you know, what you choose to prioritize and choose to focus on. And, uh, so for me, you know, Again, I was like, okay, well, two years has gone by. Like, I got, I, I did a, a my first real estate deal that I was going to tell you about with Airbnb, um, and that's the whole shiny object thing, right? Where you're chasing mm-hmm. like the next shiny right. object. I had that, just like any other human. You know, I'm not invincible. I'm not like somebody who's just out. You know, I saw that people are just crushing with Airbnb, and I'm like, well, I have my assisted living kind of like automated now, and it's doing its thing. It's going well. Let me get into this Airbnb game, kind of diversify, right? Everyone diversify. So I did that. I did it for about a year and a half, ended up selling it at the end of 2020. So I started in 2019, ran it, managed it, whatever was profitable with it. Obviously 2020 happens and nobody was expecting. We lost like, I didn't know what to expect with the Airbnb business, but I surprisingly, my assisted living business just was doing really well, even during the beginning of the pandemic. And I was like, well, geez, this is kind of interesting. Like, and I knew at that point, if I was going to focus on something, I need to choose which model I'm going to focus on. Am I going to do the short-term rentals or am I going to do assisted living? And all I needed to look at was, well, which one's doing better right now? Right. (laughs) So again, the assisted living business was just 
doing better. I was at full occupancy. Things were just rocking and rolling. Obviously, I had to put measures in place to keep everybody safe. So I told my business partner at the time, I was like, hey, look, let's just exit the Airbnb. The housing market took off, right? As everybody knows, towards the end of 2020. And I'm like, well, geez, we have all this equity we're sitting on. We have all these profits that we've just put aside. We never took profits. We never did like distributions. So we would just save everything, just, you know, rainy day fund. And we just kept growing that. I'm like, well, let's just exit. So we ended up selling the place, um, ended up making, I think I was like 17K all in on that deal and ended up making like 50 something thousand once we sold for a year and a half. And I was like, that's a great return. And that's, that's really a really good return. I was like, well, that's the power of real estate right there. Um, and obviously no one was expecting 2020 to happen. So it was kind of one of those things that, again, you, you have to, when you see opportunity, you got to take it too. It's like, you can't just always, it's all cyclical, right? Like you got to look at that. And so when I sold it again, I kept my assisted living business, took the profits that I made from that one short-term rental I had. And I always had this goal and dream in mind that I would go do the whole van life. Um, that was something I was like, the whole what? The van life where you buy okay. a converted van yeah. and whether it's a ProMaster or Ford Transit and it's converted, right? So that was something I was thinking about for like a whole year and a half before the pandemic hit. Um, and I was like, I'll do it when the time is right. So the time was right after I sold the short-term rental at the end of 2020. So I went and bought a van with the money, the profit I made from that house. I went and I found this great van, had a great deal on it. And I knew I could flip it. Like I knew if I bought it, I could drive it for six months and turn it and make it a profit on it. And that's exactly what I did. So I kept my assisted living business. That Again, that was all automated. I'm like, let me just drive around, go see all the cool national parks for a while. And then I was like, all right, well, I went ahead, did that, went and bought the van, paid all cash for it. And six months later, ended up flipping it and making, I did, I did one oil change on the thing and made a 10K profit. So I got all my money back plus 10K. So now I'm sitting on, I made like 55,000 on the sale of that short-term rental and then made 10 more, 10 more thousand when I sold the van. So now I'm sitting on 65,000, right? And this is kind of where people need to realize like when you make profit, you got to think of ways to continue growing it, like keep reinvesting it. Um, and that's what I did. Um, and at the beginning of 2021 is where I met my now partner um, through a mutual broker of ours um, that introduced us and he was syndicating deals, assisted living facilities at the time. He was just, he had been doing it for about three years, but it was kind of slow going for him. He wasn't like all in on it. He was still working his W2. He was just kind of like, you know, figuring that out too, and kind of getting his processes all figured out. And so when we got introduced, he was just closing on a deal down here in Phoenix and our energies are the whole synergy of our relationship and just what skills we both had. And that's when that opportunity came of me being like, okay, well, he's already doing that. This is a great way to scale, to get to the number of beds that you were just mentioning. And I said, sure. I don't even know what a syndication is. I have no idea how that all works, but you know what? Let's do it. <laughs> like I'm down. Let's get this, let's get this ball rolling. So within a month, we had our first deal on their contract. We're halfway through that deal. We get another deal on their contract. 
um, and we start raising capital, we start doing all like he's already, again, he had the processes somewhat all figured out already. And that is how Valley ALF Ventures was created. And so that is what led to where we're at now. Um, and we just kept scaling from there. You know, I realized, okay, this, this strategy can really work. This can really take, take me to where I had always envisioned we could get to. And so that is what led to, to where we're at now. So. So I think a lot of the audience listening is thinking, okay, so assisted living facility, do I need like some, almost like a little hospital to set this up or, or what kind of property can you actually, you know, get that will work with this business? Yeah. So if you're looking at it from like a residential assisted living component, which is what I did, it's a residential home, right? Um, so it's a single family residence. Um, again, there's a, a lot of nuances that goes into potentially converting them and getting them zoned, et cetera. But again, that's what's so intriguing about the model itself, right? In most cases, people either have some type of rental, maybe they have, you know, or are considering it. And it's a way lower barrier of entry than having to go try to get a commercial size property and do any type of conversions. So that's what's so intriguing about it. And that's what most people, why they choose to get into it. But yes, it's essentially a single family residence that you add, you know, you convert and you add ADA accessible bathrooms. Um, and then you also try to get it zoned um, and then you get it licensed. And so typically that's the process of getting one of these facilities up and going. So are you able to get it zoned before you buy it? Or do you get like assurances that they'll for sure zone it appropriately? Because otherwise you could end up buying it and then oh shoot, they won't actually zone it for you. Exactly. So yeah, typically you verify that before you put the property under contract. So if you come across yeah. a property that, you know, meets all the different criteria that you're looking for, whether it's, you know, the amount of bedrooms that it has, or maybe it has a lot of square footage that can be converted into more livable space. So you're like, okay, that property looks great. What do I need to do next? Most What I tell most people, it's like, okay, you find that, make sure you call the city ordinance that you're in. And they typically have a zoning um, arm to that city ordinance that you're calling into. And then you'll, you know, you let them know what your intentions are. Hey, look, I'm looking to potentially run this for a home for the elderly to provide non-medical services to what do I need to do to properly outfit this to be able to get the certificate of occupancy to be able to operate this type of business out of it? And they'll tell you, it, they typically have their criterias and their requirements. And most times the requirements are ADA accessible bathrooms, depending on the amount of beds or bedrooms you have or trying to get into the home, they'll either have you install a fire su sprinkler suppression system uh, with a fire panel you most likely will need to install a one inch water meter out to the main line to get that suppression system in place. So they'll let you know what's what it's going to take in order to pass all compliance and be with code and get the certificate of occupancy beforehand. Yes. So that's what yes. I always tell people before you commit to a property, whether it's signing a lease, whether it's you purchasing, looking to convert, that's how you can do that. And in most cases, there's also spacing requirements as well. It's not always applicable, but there are city ordinances that have certain spacing requirements, meaning 
a care home will have to be a certain distance from each other in order for them to give you the certificate of occupancy as well. Great, great value bombs. And so for everybody listening, there's there's probably two camps, right? There's camp number one that's like, wow, this, this is awesome. This is an opportunity I haven't even considered, but I don't know if I have the time or want to become the expert in this. Surge is already the expert. I'd kind of like to, you know, just surge. How do I get involved? How can I put some money to work with this? And then there's probably another group that's like, I, I think I could do this. I think this is a new business model I didn't even know about. Uh, maybe there's an option to kind of learn how to do this on my own. So what would be the two paths that someone could take to, I just want to be able to invest money in this and, and generate a great return? Because as we know, baby boomer populations are only going to be you know, accelerating towards needing assisted living facilities and elderly care facilities. That's only going to increase is what we're being told from the, the data and the census uh, information out there. And so a lot of people want to be able to take advantage of this. And then uh, on the other end, maybe there's a few percentage of people that want to learn how to do it. But what what's uh, an action plan that they can take to get more information about this? Absolutely. Yeah, I would say the majority of people are probably in the camp of like, I passively want to get involved with this. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I'll just speak to those people first. And then the people who are more interested on in doing it themselves, they can obviously go check out the channel, but I'll touch on that here shortly. But for the people who essentially passively want to get into it, so there's a couple different things that you could do, which I love about the space because you could either passively invest on with a syndication, like with what we offer at Valley ALF Ventures. That's probably the most passive to be able to get not only the just really great returns, but also just be involved for the long haul because we typically have long hold periods. So for people who don't know what syndications are, it's essentially a pool of investors that pull their money together to buy a property that they otherwise probably couldn't get themselves, right? So that's kind of the high level definition of it. Secondly, they can also do hard money lending to these operators who otherwise need some type of funding to get their businesses going or some type of business funding that they can loan to these operators to get whether it's startup capital, whether it's you know purchasing and getting the places furnished, et cetera. That's another great way to do it. Uh, a third way that I always tell other, other individuals is potentially partnering up as a capital partner with an actual operator to have a piece of the business too, right? So have an equity in the business portion uh, with the operator. So that's another way to passively get involved in this space specifically. Um, so those are really the three ways they can passively get involved. Um, obviously, there's a lot of nuances. And I mean, I know we don't have all the time in the world to get into the details of all of it. But uh, for people who are most more interested, they could obviously reach out to you or me, and we can kind of like further that discussion if needed. But um, and then yeah, I would say for the people that passively want to do that, that's what they can do. And then for the people who want to actually- And, and, and hold on, for those that passively want to do it, is it best for them to go to valleyalfventures.com and they can uh, reach out, get in contact. Guys, you can check out their portfolio and it's showing the actual properties, licensed beds, assets under management, meaning all the details that you're looking for. Is that a great spot for them to go? Yeah, it is. And the website's getting updated as of right now. It's currently yeah. what we have like in our portfolio. That's all getting updated just because we had more recent um, acquisitions. But yes, they can go there. 
there's an investor tab that they could just click in, submit their info of what they want to invest, how much, et cetera. And then that just gets submitted to us. And then you'll probably either be in touch with me or our capital raiser. Um, so, and then for people who are operators that either want to lease or maybe sell something that they have, they can also reach out through that too. So, but um, yeah, that's, that's probably the place that they should go and they can shoot me an email if they, that's more comfortable for them. So, yeah. So guys, right when you go to valleyalfventures.com, the homepage, there's a button there for investors. You just want to passively invest. And then, Hey, if you want to get involved and be an operator, you're already in the health industry and you've been thinking about doing this, then you can click on the operator button there, but all the information you need to really get, uh, you know, go, get to go, go to the next steps. This is not a passive podcast. This is an action taking podcast where we learn, grow and take action. And that's how we progress. Exactly. So for the people who want to get involved on like actually running the operations themselves, there's a lot that I can say, and that's really where like the whole Legion Assisted Living Academy comes into play and like the mentorship I offer because it is a very nuanced business. I wish I could just like, it's not as black and white as many people, you know, everybody's scenario is different. You know, I mentor people who have existing properties and those properties just either are a great fit or they're just like an absolute no-go. One thing that I would say is like, I always tell people when you either book a call with a mentor or somebody who's teaching what you want to do and want to like, it's better to book a call. That's, you know, whatever, $150, $300, whatever 100%. that is, that will save you potentially thousands of thousands of dollars. If you end up making one wrong decision that they could have at least maybe given you some guidance on or some clarification on. So there've been people who I've talked to who, I'm for me, I'm like, I almost, I just like want to give them their money back. Cause I'm like this say, like, I, I'm so happy you called me. Like you took the time to book this call because I would have felt really horrible if you would have called me after you made that decision. Ugh. Now you're like in a position where I'm like, Oh man, I let's figure this out. But there's almost like times where I'm like, you're just going to have to take a loss here in certain aspects, you know? So, but yeah, that's what I would tell other people as well. Amen. Well, well said. Well, thank you so much for being a guest on the show today, Serge. Just a mountain of value bombs dropped, an amazing story of how you've overcome so much adversity and a really realistic, accurate look of what it takes to be an entrepreneur. And if you guys are willing to put the sacrifice in for a year or two, you can build an empire, which is exactly what Serge and his partner have done. But if you just want to passively benefit, and I just would say with a lot of confidence that I don't believe, you know, typical 401ks, I don't believe the stock market are going to be able to, you know, keep pace at all with the types of returns that you can generate within the real estate opportunities of an assisted living business. And you don't go and figure those things out on your own. You work with someone who already has a system and has been working at it really uh, for the better part of the last uh, decade, building it up. So again, go to valleyalfventures.com. And then Serge, what's the final word you want to leave with the audience today? Oof. Yeah. I mean, I would tell people like everything you just said, I think one thing I obviously always like notice with individuals is just be be willing to always be willing to learn. Like that's one thing for me. I always want to be willing to learn. Also, don't be afraid 
to network with individuals who are just doing a lot bigger things than you, you, you're, you are far more capable of achieving the things that you otherwise probably would have never thought you could achieve. When I started that little small five bed facility in Mesa, Arizona in 2018, if you would have told me then that this is where I'd be now, five years later, five years, I would have, I would have laughed at you. I would have been like, there's, you're, you're crazy. Like there's no way, but it was the, again, it was the belief that like one day I'll get there. I'm not sure how I'm going to do it. You may not be sure how you're going to do it. You know what I mean? So just be willing to think big, be willing to push your boundaries. I know everybody's situation is complete. I have kids now, you know, and I'm married now and I know the obligations I have. And it's not as simple as, yeah, that sounds easier. It's easier said than done. Right. But don't be afraid to dream bigger. Don't be afraid of your own capability, you know? And one thing I'd, I'd leave you guys with, I mean, I love listening to podcasts, but there's one guy, he always says, Andy Frasilli always says personal excellence is the ultimate rebellion. So be, be the best version that you can be every single day, work towards those goals, work towards those dreams and you'd be surprised where you find yourself if you diligently do it every single day in five, even three to five years, 10 years, wherever. But you'll be surprised where you find yourself. You cannot expect your life to change. Like nothing changes if nothing changes. Like if you expect doing what you normally do every single day and expect a different outcome, no, that will never happen. So just be willing to push yourself, make the changes you need to make day by day, little by little, and you'll realize it was all, I would say it's all worth it. Everything I had to go through was 150% worth it. I had no regrets. And yeah, I mean, I think that's what I'll leave it with. And yeah, hopefully that inspires some people. So. Amen, everyone. Take action and thanks for being a guest, Serge. Thank you. Are you looking for more seven-figure secrets, content, or even how you can launch your own recession-proof business? Then check out sevenfigures.com. That's the digit seven, F-I-G-U-R-E-S.com, where we share more videos, stories, strategies, funding solutions, entrepreneurial education, and even the secret business type that's recession-proof. Thank you for listening, and if you're finding value in our podcast, please give us a five-star and invite others to join the club.